This is Strange Assembly, episode 168, Faith and Fear. <laughs> you don't like faith or fear, Jay? I, they I scare that, you? I guess that was more, uh, yeah, wasn't quite as fearful as I was going for. Oh, yeah, I guess the word fear was in the title. Right. But it's also a, a dirty, dirty trick, because we're not really going to talk that much if, about faith and fear. <laughs> even mm-hmm. though it's about to drop, or maybe has dropped. Is April 13th the official release date for it? Sixth. It's Monday. Sixth, Monday. There we go. Get my filthy paws all over that soon enough. Yes. So that is J. Earl. Hello. And I am Chris Stevenson. This is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. As you might have guessed by now, we've uh, gotten back around to talking about Doomtown, although... There is a little bit of admin work here, I should mention. If you're downloading this episode right now through a subscription to Strange Assembly, you know, you subscribe on iTunes or just to the RSS feed, then that means that you're either downloading every single episode of Strange Assembly that we do, or you're subscribed to the feed that was originally the Netrunner feed. That didn't really last, and this is the feed that we use for any sort of random customizable game that isn't Legend of the Five Rings. So if we talk about Doomtown, it goes on here. If we talk about the Star Wars LCG, it goes on here. If I actually get to play this Star Wars Armada thing that I I have sitting in the room here with me, it would go on here. A general review would go in the main board gaming feed as well, but anything where we get into detail... Once we get to play 7C, it'll go in here. Yeah, let's worry about games that have actually been announced. Nah, that's not nearly as fun. So, the reason I'm noting this is, if you're subscribing to the Netrunner feed, this is going to be the last episode that you get, unless you change what you're subscribing to. Maybe it's just kind of silly, but I would like to change it to being just called the Customizable Games feed. And so... If you're subscribing to the Netrunner feed, you can just go to strangeassembly.com and go to the same podcasts pull-down menu where you subscribe to the Netrunner feed, and you can now subscribe to the Customizable Games feed. It's the exact same URL, except the word Netrunner has been replaced with the word Customizable. I just would rather have it be a little bit more accurately aimed, even though that probably doesn't really matter at all, because whoever actually looks at the URL, except me. The Google bots, they care about the URL. Okay, the Google bots. There you go. I get these spam emails advertising search engine optimization, so maybe I should care more about that. But since I'm not a business and anyone sending me spam email about that is certainly useless, I just ignore them. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think that the last time we really talked about Doomtown Reloaded was just the base set. Since then, the first three saddlebags have come out, Newtown New Rules, Double Dealing, and Election Day Slaughter. As we mentioned earlier, and Jay corrected me on the date, Faith and Fear is about to come out. It's April 3rd as we're recording this. I suspect you'll end up listening to this. Well, I don't know when you'll listen to it, but it'll be available to download probably about the same time that Faith and Fear is available for purchase. Some of those Faith and Fear previews have been on strangeassembly.com, so thank you AEG for those. Now, Jay Jay is going to be the one who's mostly providing um, 
meaningful content on this episode because it's preferring it, definitions of meaningful. It's me after all. It, yes, but but it turns out that if you want to play Doomtown Reloaded in Atlanta, you kind of have to do it or at least in a tournament sort of store runway, you kind of have to do it on a weeknight on the north side of town, which is just not physically possible for me. Uh, <laughs> so sure, sure, it's physically possible. You just have to take some time off work. I'm sure they would understand. Well, they'll understand. <laughs> I mean, I, as long as I've got the leave, they'll let me take the time off. But yeah, I, I'm not going to leave work early to drive through heavy traffic. To yeah, it just doesn't work. Uh, it's it's kind of an unfortunate thing. If you ever run into me in person, I can really gripe for an extended period of time about the terrible way that the city of Atlanta is laid out. But uh, Yes, because you live in the city of Atlanta. I, I don't think that is a unique trait to you. It is not. To you. It, it is not. I think it is a particular feature gaming-wise that mm. almost all of the game shops or on the north side of town, like for the the Star Wars LCG, I was only able to go to to one of them because of my schedule, but there were four Star Wars LCG store championships in Atlanta. All four of them were in the northern suburbs. I mean, you could get variation northwestern versus northeastern, but there was nothing even once you go far enough south of Atlanta that you're in the nice suburbs again. Vexing. So I... I I have to drive an extended period of time to get to any sort of tournament environment for these, which, you know, I I can do, but not on a weeknight. Sure, yeah. I mean, I remember being in college, thus without a car, so it's even worse trying to public transit up to the northern suburbs. Yes, because it turns out that the two counties that are, are north of the city of Atlanta, but that are part of the greater Atlanta metro area, did not permit the public transit rail line to go into their counties because they did not want, quote-unquote, those people to Mm -hmm. be able to get out there. And since this was, what, the Deep South in, when was that, the 70s, the 80s? I'm sure you can guess what they meant by those people. Right. It's exactly as sinister an origin as you would think it would be. Did I mention that I have no intention of ever going to a Braves game after they move out of Atlanta? (laughs) I don't either, but to be fair, I had no intention of going to a Braves game before, so... Yeah. Anyhow, so there's your bit of unwanted social commentary. Although I'd like to think we could all agree that that sort of thing is bad. Yeah. I mean, right? Okay. Hilariously short-sighted, yes. (laughs) Okay, so here's my understanding of the the development of the tournament environment in Doomtown, which you will correct me on. We went from the base set was out, therefore fourth ring was unplayable, to there are saddlebags, therefore fourth ring is broken good. That may be an oversimplification. So, Jay, why don't you put a little bit more nuance in your assessment of the the current status of the, the Doomtown Reloaded competitive scene? Okay. Well, I mean, in broad strokes, that's more or less right. With the base set... The fourth ring in the base set, it's not that they were significantly weaker than anyone else, it's that they were they were weaker and they were harder. So maybe if that had all that had been ever out, people would have eventually figured out how to play that deck, but they didn't have to. The first saddlebag came out and upped their power quite nicely. 
a lot of it too is just you know, this is still a new game. It takes some amount of time. This isn't a magic where the meta develops in a week. It does take some amount of time for people to figure out how the decks, how to play against them. So fourth went ring. Fourth Ring went from the base set being a very skill-heavy deck, both in deck construction and in deck play, to, I'm not going to say easy so much as much more straightforward and a much stronger control deck. Specifically, and I'm immediately going to get Paralysis Mark, right? Is the name of that card? The the Hex from Newtown, New Rules, yes. That, That is the name of it. The Paralysis Mark which once you start getting into the intermediate advanced level of Doom Towns, you will realize that movement is really one of the biggest keys of this game, controlling where dudes are, both yours and your opponents. And so the Paralysis Mark's ability to boot dudes, to force them to stay put, and to basically say they don't get actions this turn, but to my mind, it's mostly the you are staying where you wherever you are parked right now. I don't have to worry about you going somewhere else. Is a huge advantage for decks. I've seen Morgan hex deck primarily on the base of that card. Fourth Ring obviously does it better because they've got better in faction hucksters that they can start with over the generic huckster starts. Right, yeah, there are d- decently priced non-faction hucksters now, right? Right. There are two or three factionless hucksters that are prime for your starting posse, but still, they're, the fourth ring have even better ones in faction that they can be starting with. In fact, they have in Double Dealin', they got another huge component in the Leon, I believe, who is a huckster that basically has the paralysis mark built in. So you can start with a paralysis mark in play, use your grifters to all but guarantee you've got one in your opening hand, put it on him, now you've got two lockdowns in that opening turn. That's a lot of board control. and especially early game, there just are not that many dudes on the table. So if you can control the few that are there, especially with the way the game is structured, the few that are vitally important to the deck, it becomes very hard for your opponent to play their game. All right, so fourth ring, control, prominent deck. Morgan started out with... uh landfall or whatever you want to call the let's just spam out tons and tons of locations deck is that still the thing that they're best at doing or have they diversified more so that's still definitely a deck and as long as they've got their current box i definitely think that their main thing is going to be deeds but that's not their only strong deck as i said i've seen them run hucksters as well and basically the advantage they've got over fourth ring is they can just quickly spam out a whole bunch of deeds, get a real economy going such that they can afford 
the hucksters to lock to the control element to lock the board down. They've got all the deeds, all the control points to be working towards that. And then they can mid late game afford heavy hitters a lot better than the fourth ring can. Conversely, it's a lot more expensive for them to get the heavy hitters. So I would say both of them can play fairly strong huckster decks right now. All right. And I, I think a a generic base set description of what Sloan did and what Law Dogs did was pew, pew. I am gonna come try to shoot you in the face, either with wanted dudes or with dudes that punish you for cheating. Take your pick. What are they doing now? I feel like, and this may just be my bias, Sloan is still a lot doing that. That the saddlebags have upped their power, but they've not really diversified the same way some of the other factions have. Conversely, the Faith and Fear preview of the new box that we had has me real high hopes for what I like to call the Let's Be Bad Guys deck, where you play Sloan and you just take over all of their deeds. I also very much think that we're going to start seeing a lot more Sloan job decks. I've already seen one running around with, oh, and immediately I'm blanking on her name, the Nine of Spades. Angelica Espinosa? Thank you, Angelica. Her ability to jump into posses from next door makes it a lot safer to be doing a lot of these jobs that you see. So, yeah, I think that you're going to start seeing a job deck materialize out of Sloan. It just needs a couple more pieces to really be clicking. And what about the Law Dogs? So, I, uh, the Law Dogs, I definitely think that they still have a strong theme of legal decks and of cheating punishment. They've also got started getting an interesting sub-theme of both deputies and government deeds. So... You've got Rafi, who is a dude who, as a shootout action, can move a whole bunch of your deputies into a shootout at a government deed, which means if most, if not all, of your deeds are government deeds, it becomes a lot easier for you to defend them, because you can just send whoever at the deed to get the shootout started, and then pull all your heavy hitters in as you need them. And again, this is a, a game a large amount of about positioning and movement. So any ability that lets you move is going to be a very strong ability if you can use it well. There did seem to be a shift. I don't, maybe this is just my perception in what the Law Dog abilities tended to be. It felt like in the base set, most of the their stuff worked just so long as the other guy was cheating. Maybe you got a kicker if you were legal too. It feels like more since then their cards have been, you have a legal hand. To, you have to have a legal hand to get something out of them. Right, and that's because that's a lot easier to control for. Though, I mean, the punishment against cheating is also fairly strong in that it really forces the other, the other deck in the shootout to tread carefully. I still remember one of my games at Gen Con where I was playing against a Law Dogs player. He had the weapon that cheating resolution, we switch hands. 
Mm -hmm. in addition to a bunch of other cheating punishment on board, let alone what he might have pulled out of his draw hand. And so it very much became a game for me of, okay, we're in the shootout. Is it better for me to take this legal full house, which is, you know, a two-rank difference from the cheating four of a kind, but am I going to take an even bigger hit than that? And so it very much is, you know, makes the cheating player actually consider what they're doing, not necessarily make the best possible hand they can do. Just to sort of a, a conversation starter, I had uh, identified some cards that I thought might be interesting to talk about. Some because they seemed good, because some because they seemed interesting, and uh, and they're kind of weighted towards the more recent saddlebags. Now you've already mentioned a couple of them, so we may not have, have much to say. So, but I let's let's test this out as a as sort of brainstorming. Maybe these are good, maybe these are bad, maybe they're interesting. But uh, okay, so for New town, new rules. One of them was paralysis, Mark, and I think you've, you've pretty much already covered that. The other one for new town, new rules was actually another fourth ring card. I guess paralysis, Mark, isn't technically a fourth ring card, but whatever. Which is the Dolph Zug. Right? He's not a huckster. He doesn't protect hucksters, so he doesn't directly contribute to that, but that seems like decent bullets and a lot of a relative lot of control boards on a dude that's really cheap. To very briefly to, to go off topic, so generally speaking, I mean, this, this is how I analyze dudes. I can't speak to others, but this is how I analyze it. To my mind, almost all dudes are in one of two categories based on their stat line. Ooh, let me and, guess, let me guess. Starting or not? That's, no, that's... Oh. Okay. That's going to be where their costs come in. <laughs> no, so most dudes are either shooters, that is, you want to get them in the shootout and have them be your lewd shooter, or they're influence dudes, that is, they have a large chunk of influence that you can use to keep from losing, to take over deeds, to do actions. For your starting posse, you generally want a balance of those two. And so, yeah, Dolph Zug is, is an influence dude because he's a two influence. He's not a full-on shooter because you really want your shooter to be a stud, but a two draw is definitely pushing into shooter territory. So he might, he might make the cut as, you know, I've already got a main shooter who's my stud. I want someone else who can if my main shooter is otherwise occupied, can get into a shootout. But, again, you really want a stud in your shootout if you can do it. That's the difference between a stud and a draw. Even a one stud versus a two draw is just so huge on the odds that a one stud is better than a two draw. On the other hand, if you're playing Pearl Handled Revolver, maybe the two draw is a funner opener. Now, all of that said, as far as this guy, one of the big determinations for me of how much you can start with is not their cost, it's their upkeep. So yes, he is dirt cheap at two cost, but with that one upkeep, you really, really don't want more than two upkeep in your open, in your starting posse. 
and somebody with a starting upkeep in your posse really needs to be driving what your deck needs. He does not seem to do that. Right, he does not. Now, if I'm not caring that much about my values, since he is an ace, he's risky, risky in a hex deck, but yeah. otherwise, as a in-your-deck coming a non-starting dude, he's really not a bad choice, because he, as you said, he is dirt cheap to drop out, he does have two influence, he is two bullets for certain effects, that seems marginal at best, then, for yeah, fourth ring right now. Basically, yeah. Really, what he's going to be is, if you see a fourth ring deck that is either not as reliant on its hexes, or in some other way does not care that much about how high its values are, you could very much see him, he would be an excellent drop-in at his stat line. But... With his value, it's hard to justify him in the fourth ring deck, and with his upkeep, it's hard to me at least to justify starting him. Okay, let's see that. Oh, let me. I guess before I, I move on, do you, do you have any random cards that you think are interesting, overused, underused, whatever from Newtown New Rules? In Newtown New Rules, so I've already mentioned Rafi. And again, this may just be because one of the players in, that I'm used to playing with regularly, I mean, has a Rafi deck. <laughs> but I, I definitely think that that is actually a thing: is a deputy deck with government deeds with Rafi running around. Right, you were talking about wanting starting dudes with upkeep to be a, a build around. Right. And he is. You're like, bam, there you go. I will always have Mr. Rafi in play, or I guess Mr. Hamid. Okay, so that was the first saddlebag. The second saddlebag was double dealing, and I had identified three for this one, so we're just going to nice gradual progression up until Election Day Slaughter. I bet you can't guess how many I identified for Election Day Slaughter. 22. <laughs> well, you already mentioned Angelica Espinosa seems like a really good shooter she, she is i i I know she's got an upkeep but again cheap multi-bullet stud great ability exactly she she is very much exactly what you're looking at from a from a shooter the only reason i am not currently have don't currently have her in my starting posse is that she's a zero influence and i'm currently running at three starting influence as it is <laughs> And anyone I would be swapping out for her would be one of the dudes with an influence. So, yeah. But you don't yeah. want to just randomly lose on turn one to not having influence. Uh, not again, no. <laughs> My favorite Sloan deck very, is very much if it makes it to turn three, something has gone wrong. I'm not saying I've won on turn three. I'm saying the game should be over on turn three, one way or the other. Now, also, Double Dealin gave another Grifter, Gina Tailfeathers. So, right, instead of getting a Mulligan, you get a, hey, pitch one card to draw two more, so you you only net one, but you get a look at an extra two. How, if at all, has she fit into the Grifter scene? Heck, what we, well, that's actually, let's take that back. Let's, that assumes that people are using grifters. 
how has that ended up playing out? That was a big topic of discussion when Doomtown Reloaded came out. Right. From what I've seen, most decks are running grifters that, I mean, you really do need to see a opening, a good, strong opening hand that first turn. And different decks have different ideas how to do of that. I have, I have seen more or less an even split between Gina here and I've immediately blanked on what the other guy's name is. Is it Travis Moon? It is Travis Moon. I have seen more or less an even split between Gina and Travis where a large part of it is going to be what the quality of cards your deck is looking for is. So, for instance, I've seen a lot of the the Hex decks go for Gina because they're, they're looking for a couple of cards. So if they could just get more, you know, a sixth card in and they likely have something expensive they can throw to her early, whereas my Sloan deck, I'm looking for just a couple of very specific cards in my opening hand, so I'm going for Travis because if I don't get the cards I want in my hand, I want a do-over. <laughs> but both of them are costing you some money, and... Neither one of them is really filling either of your roles. So they're pretty much, after the game starts, chat. So there definitely is an argument to be made for not including them in your deck. It really becomes a question of how much, cons- how much consistency, how much risk can you handle? Is it worth the two Ghost Rock or three Ghost Rock to get better consistency out of your deck out of your first turn and the way this game goes and it's not just my deck most decks really need that first turn the first couple turns to go well or they're going to be in trouble Mm -hmm. if you are not able to advance your economy the first two turns and your opponent does it is going to be very difficult, not impossible, but very difficult for you to win the game the longer the game goes on. So having a grifter that lets you more reliably get your economy going or get whatever your deck's main thrust is going is very powerful and for probably 90% of decks worth that initial investment of rock. Okay, well, speaking of economy, the last double deal-in card I singled out was Baird's Building and Loan, which is a deed that lets you put more deeds into play for cheaper. And the reason I, I singled on this one is I'm like, well, that seems to play pretty well with the Morgan Landfall. Your deck is, what, half deeds? So yeah. the chances of only having the one deed in your hand to use with the the faction ability are, are relatively low, so if you have this, it can let you just spam them out even better. Is this a, an attractive card for that sort of deck, or am I misjudging it? No, you're right. It definitely is an attractive card for that sort of deck. I have not seen it much outside of Morgan, simply because, first of all, most other decks don't have the deeds to be triggering it every turn, but then conversely, most decks do have deeds, do have a need for deeds, so if 
I am playing this, it's often a target for shootouts to happen, for the other guy to try to take it over so that they get to use it. It's definitely a strong deed, but it may not be worth the risk for every deck. Honestly, if, if we're talking deeds, I think Hustings is the much bigger effect on there because it's lowering the influence of dudes at home, which basically says if I play Hustings and you're playing a passive deck, you have to leave your home. And if I'm playing a shootout deck and you're playing a passive deck, I could be in trouble in that unless I get in, draw into things like ambush or election day slaughter or kidnapping, it can be hard for me to actually get your guys locked down somewhere where I can shoot them. They'll just stay at home where it's safe. Hustings makes it so that they can't just stay at home and not have to worry. I have seen Hustings make somebody go from like four or five influence to zero. Ouch. Yeah. So there anything else from double dealing that you think is interesting or worth highlighting? So the other one that I think is interesting, I'm not going to say hugely powerful, but interesting is the Mario Crane, who is a stud dude. He's factionless. And if you are not cheating, they need to win the shootout by at least three ranks to actually kill him, which to me slots really nicely into a lot of into the law dog straight flush deck because that deck very much has sometimes it just gets a flush so it loses by a rank sometimes it gets the straight flush so it wins by two or three ranks and so if mario is your shooter who is doing that it suddenly becomes possible for him to just hang out safely as you're losing by one or winning by one and over a lot of shootout rounds, he can eventually pick them off. He has to be solo for his ability to be meaningful, right? Pretty much, yeah. It's not reducing your casualties, it's just he's not the casualty. Yeah. You still have to deal with the casualties if you can. Well, the the final of the saddlebags so far uh, is Election Day Slaughter, and I guess I'll start this off with somebody who's kind of got, well, well, a few in common and a few completely different with Dolph Zug, which is the Brute. Again, two-cost, fourth-ring guy. This guy has no upkeep. Now, he's neither a shooter nor a control guy, so just a, a meat shield. No, he's, he's very much a meat shield, and for that, he is very excellent as a meat shield. Because not only he's not only is he an abomination, so that's one more casualty he's soaking up. But when you ace him for casualties, that's an extra two, and he is dirt cheap even out of faction. I mean, I'm honestly running him in my Sloan deck right now entirely as a later drop of he's going to hang out in the posse, and then if you're playing a shootout deck too, often. We'll have a couple shootouts back and forth where I'll take a couple casualties because I just didn't get draw well enough, and he soaks them up like a champ. 
He's also really good for the fourth ring deck. And once again, I'm horrible at the names, but there's a hex that lets you recur abominations out of the, out of boot hill. So combine that with the brute and you can just soak up casualties for days early game until you've stabilized enough that you're, you're now rocking the shootouts. Raising Hell, that's the one. It's out of the base set that it lets you recur your abominations at the cost of the hex itself. So you, you basically, you're swapping the hex in favor of bringing the abomination back in. Those two cards let you in the early game when your shootout deck still hasn't quite stabilized yet, get into shootouts, soak up the casualties without having to worry too much, such that you can keep your important dudes alive until the mid-late game where you have stabilized and you're now winning the shootouts. I'm looking ahead at my election day slaughter. Apparently I'm very short on anything law dogs in these picks, but oh well. My next one is Milt Clemens, who's a decent shooter, but a trade of whenever his bounty increases, gain one ghost rock. Now, this seemed to me like a, a sort of build-around starting guy where he's got an upkeep, but then you're doing things that will increase his bounty, so he's paying for himself in that way. Right. Does that work out that way? It definitely can. If you're, again, if going back to the uh, Let's Be Bad Guys deck that I, I want to play, I very much see that as quickly gaining bounty. And yeah, he he has exactly the stats that I want to see out of my starting shooter, which is two stud with an influence, such that you can go take, a, take control of their deeds, and then that he can hang out by himself in the shootout. So yes, I agree. Definitely a strong card, especially once you get into a deck that's getting really wanted, like I think the new stronghold is gonna want to, the new is gonna want to do. Because if there's anything worse that a control deck can do other than bowing your guy out turn after turn after turn, it's just stealing him. So how about Puppet? Is that extremely good or or is or people's grits high enough that your pulls start getting unreliable? That is one of those that it really depends on what you're facing against. Because, I mean, both Sloan and Law Dogs have some really good guys at really low values. So even even once you get to their full grit, it's definitely a hittable target. Conversely, Morgan is hard to go against just because they don't have a lot of key guys that you want to be taking control of. Puppet is definitely one that I could see being a strong control card, but at some level it's more paralysis mark 4 through 6 than it is its own effect, just because a lot of the times the like really, really tough guy that you want to lock down you're just not going to be able to hit. Okay. And my last one, you said you keep mentioning uh, movement and control. That is good. Uh, ridden down. Usually your horses let you move more. Ridden down lets you turn your horse into shutting down one of their guys for the rest of the turn, mostly. I, I guess first, 
So horses, that was primarily a Morgan thing. You mentioned Morgan hexes. You mentioned Morgan landfall still. Morgan horses going anywhere? I have not seen Morgan horses. I definitely think at some point we're going to see Morgan horses just because there are cards like this that really let a horse-based deck exert a large amount of control on the board. Ridden down, if you have enough horses that you can trigger it reliably, is a huge card. As you said, I have said a lot that this is a game of controlling, of positioning, of controlling the town. So, forcing your opponent's dude to leave your deed, presumably either saving you from a shootout or giving you control of the deed again, and sending them home booted, so they're effectively out for the turn, barring specific card effects. Really, I feel at this point that there's enough horse actions. The problem with the deck is there aren't enough horses to really make the deck playable enough. Mm, We'll have to look over Faith and Fear then, I guess, for more horses. Are those faithful horses? Are those fearful (laughs) horses? We'll have to to learn. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And especially especially if it's a horse that has the fear of God put into him. Then then he's in for it. Okay, so anything you wanted to highlight as as interesting from election day slaughter? Sure. So I'm gonna hit on a couple increasing order of I think their effectiveness. So first off, hunter protections. I don't think it's doing anything right now, but this to me, combined with the new Sloan stronghold or the new strong Sloan faction outfit that, outfit. Sorry, <laughs> what the, that's okay. I I've lost track. I've lost the ability. Right, I call them attachments, yeah. and I whatever. I if this is the podcast you're coming to for precise terminology, will we remember exactly <laughs> what? Similar kinds of card types are called between this game or that game. You came to the wrong place, my friends. <laughs> we try, but, you know, is sometimes it's just not going to happen. Right. Anyway, Hunter's Protections is not really doing anything right now, but I very much think with the new Sloan outfit that we've seen previewed, this is suddenly going to become a very powerful card because you suddenly have, instead of a penalty for raising your bounty, you suddenly have a boost for raising your bounty. And specifically, right now, pretty much everything that positively interacts with bounty is Sloan, and Hunter Protection is just does not work with the current Sloan outfit. So you're not going to see it in there, you're not going to see it in anywhere else, but I would not be the least bit surprised to see this quickly crop up with the new Sloan outfit. The next one that I think is a very underrated card is the Mayor's Office. This is another deed that it has the ability to alter dudes' influences by one, which Rumors is an amazingly strong card. Rumors can win you games. This is Rumors hanging out. This very much, in many ways, can affect who wins 
it can give you the win. For instance, there's enough shooters with one influence that this effectively says your shooter needs some help to actually before I have to care about that they're at my deed. <laughs> so I very much think that in the right deck, the mayor's office is a very strong card. And it's definitely going to be one of those deeds that when it's in play, blood's going to be spilled for it. The final card I want to mention out of Election Day Slaughter is Jake Smiley, who is really easy to underestimate, but he's surprisingly powerful in that he is just two ghost rock with no upkeep. And initially look at his stat line, he's one draw with zero influence, and that's not much. It's that he has two influence during the sundown phase. In other words, he has two influence for... Well, he, he can't control a deed during noon, so you can't grab a deed and use its ability. He can grab a deed when you're checking for control points, and he can... He's adding two influence against you losing the game. (laughs) So, I mean, he's very, very good for a starting dude to just spend two Ghost Rock to have two influence on the the board to not lose the game. I mean, I've already mentioned that my Sloan deck is running three influence to start. If I can slot him in, I'm almost doubling my influence for... Two Ghost Rock? Mm Mm-hmm. That can be paraphrased as something like plus two influence for purposes of winning the game or not losing it, I'd (laughs) Basically, yes. So, yeah, I I definitely think he is a really strong dude to be putting in starting posses if you just need to round out who you've got. Okay, well... I think that's all we've got for Election Day Slaughter, and like I said, despite the the title, I guess I, I I'd ask you what you're excited about with with faith and fear of what you've seen so far, because I know you like to to crack things and and be seeing them for the first time physically. But I I think you'd just say the the new Sloan outfit, Desol- Desolation oh, definitely, Row. Definitely so <laughs> the new Sloan. I I am a Sloan player. I am super. I mean. Don't get me wrong, I love my current Sloan outfit. I definitely think that that is a strong ability, but the new Sloan outfit is an equally strong ability and lets me play a very different style of deck that I think will be much more interesting to be playing, much more powerful in the long game. Again, my current silly Sloan deck if it makes it to turn three, something has gone weird. <laughs> but that doesn't always mean I've won. That deck, the longer the game goes on, the worse the odds are for that deck. Whereas I think the new outfit, you can very easily, much more easily build a deck that has staying power out of Sloan that can stay in the game for whatever the duration is and cause a lot of mayhem, and definitely take take over the board and win. Do you have any parting thoughts before I wrap it up here, Jay? I would just generally say that you took the base set of the game, which was a very solid game, 
and you've put in three saddlebags now, and it's just gotten better. I'm really excited about the future of this game. Okay, well that's uh, that's pretty cool. That's uh, so our, our Doomtown Reloaded so far. Look for Faith and Fear on April sixth, or you know maybe today, as the right. case may be. Or in the distant past, if you're just now bothering to listen to this a year from now. In which case, hi, future people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess that's good. That means we're, the podcast is still going on if you're bothering to go back and listen to us a year from now. Hooray us! Yeah. But until the distant future. I don't know, what is that? The, uh, in the year 2000. In the year 2000. In the year 2000. Oh, I won't punish you anymore with that, listeners. You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find more Strange Assembly at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there. You can also find the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. Either place, we'd love it if you uh, if you subscribe or if you listen. If you went there and left us a review or a rating, it helps others discover the show. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Strange Assembly. We're also facebook.com slash strangeassembly, and by God, I finally got WordPress and Facebook to talk to each other again, mostly. <laughs> so <laughs> you'll actually find updates there now. All right. If you don't want to do those sorts of things, you can also email me directly, chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Now draw! think i should have mentioned that i'm i've been drinking tequila during the podcast that would make me <laughs> give me more credibility for doomtown reloaded uh. of course then i might have to mention that i'm having it in a margarita which might make my credibility go away again just a little yeah wait wait credibility i don't understand the concept <laughs>